Good morning. Why don't you grab your Bibles? We'll be in Matthew chapter 6, and we'll continue to exalt in God through His Word. While you're turning there, I'll just say uh, a couple things that uh, are very special to me. We, um, as Bert mentioned, Pastor Bert mentioned this morning, we we've been off on a elders uh, church leadership retreat. The elders uh, have been out there since uh, Friday, and the deacons came out yesterday, and we were out at the state park, and we did an awful lot of praying. A lot of talking, a lot of talking, a lot of this, you know, just thinking through things together and asking God for his wisdom for how we should walk forward as a church, a um, lot of seeking God. And one, one thing we came to that we want to share with you this morning, uh, even though you, you're not going to know the depth of it just by me saying this, but um, we'll, we'll be talking about it a lot. We, we, we decided that one of our emphasis, uh, emphases that we're going to really, really press into this year is that uh, as elders, we want to grow in soul care, grow in soul care to equip the saints for all of life, to equip all of the saints for all of life. And uh, I know that might not strike uh, a lot of meaningfulness for you right now as you hear that, um, but it's going to mean a lot and it's going to mean some things that are very specific and practical and then some more general things in how we view the church and how we want to press into God's word and community and soul care and, the, and discipleship and those things so that we might grow in soul care to equip all of the saints for all of life. And uh, again, in just a few weeks, you'll probably hear more about that. We're going to start talking about that a lot and what that specifically means. But thank you if you prayed for our elder retreat. We put it on social media. We asked that you prayed. If you did that, thank you very much. Um, God was, I, I believe God was honored and it was, it was a very encouraging, very good time for us to, um, to be together as leaders all right, so our text today is Matthew 6, 9. That's the verse we're going to press into. Um, but I want to read all of, all of the, Lord's the Lord's Prayer. We, we call it the Lord's Prayer. Um, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Um, but again, we're going we're gonna to focus today on, on, on just verse 9. But here we go. Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. The, the Word of God says, pray, this is the Word of God, Jesus Christ, he says, pray this way. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Lord, we, we pray just that way. Our Father who is in heaven, may your name be hallowed. Hallowed in this place. Hallowed in our hearts. Hallowed in our lives. That we might regard you as holy. We might live that out every day so that the world might know that you are holy. I pray for your help this morning as I try to unpack your word, as I try to present you as the Father who is both close and over all, and what that means for us to be able to refer to you as Father, how good that is for us. 
and what it means that your name is to be hallowed. Help, I pray, for your, for your glory. And Lord, I, I know, I know that there are many here today who are hurting. I, 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 I know very specifically some that come here with great burdens and hurts. And Lord, I pray that you would show your comfort this morning, your grace and your mercy. I pray that they would be encouraged and comforted in grace. Those who come here heartbroken because of a great loss or heartbroken because of news that they received. Oh Lord, you, by your grace, I pray today that you would comfort them. Make, make strong, weak knees. Through your word, through the body of Christ, And now for the next 35 minutes or so, Lord, would you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, this is probably more um, like how the clock is made than you want to know. But there's a debate among preachers as to whether a preacher should write a full manuscript or whether he should write an outline. You know what I mean by that? Like a full manuscript, all the words that he plans to say, or maybe just bulleted outlines. And then there's the outliers who say they shouldn't have anything. They should just come in with, you know, just remembering everything. But most people kind of vacillate between outlines and um, manuscripts. The manuscript guys say that writing it out helps because you can think through like all the ways you want to say it and clarity is really important, and so manuscripts are helpful that way. Um, the outline guys say that if you come in with a manuscript, you're going to be tied to it, right? You're going to be reading it, and it's going to be hard for you to feel the connection with people. Um, manuscript guys say that outline guys uh, take shortcuts, you know, all this, whatever. Um, my position is that a preacher should simply figure out what works best for him and just stick with it. Uh, if you write a manuscript, know it well enough so that you're not tied to it, reading it word for word. Um, if you only use an outline, make sure that you think through specifically what you're going to say so that it's clear and helpful, um, but do what works for you. And I'm talking about it this morning because those are similar to the two ways people view the Lord's Prayer. Some view it as a manuscript that you should recite and just say it over and over again. That's how you should pray. You should recite these words like a manuscript, and some think of it as an outline, a pattern that you should follow, that Jesus is not teaching us like a specific rote memory prayer that you should just recite, but he is teaching us how to pray. And that's similar, I guess, but I have a stronger opinion about this than I do about whether preachers should have a manuscript or an outline. I, it's not even an opinion. I think it's an observation from verse 9 and the supporting context. Verse 9 says, pray like this, in this manner. Pray in this way. Jesus was not giving us a few lines that we can memorize and then recite without thought. A lot of people think that about the Lord's, Supper, the Lord's Prayer, that we recite this without thought. He is giving us a pattern of prayer, a, a manner that we should pray, a way that we should pray. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with memorizing this. I think you should memorize it. I've memorized it. I think it's helpful. I've memorized a prayer. Scripture memorization in general is helpful. It's very helpful to memorize this prayer. But this is not merely a prayer that we should recite to God, right? 
today and pretty much all through history since Jesus taught this, it's been used as like a, a thing that people say in hopes that God would hear them. Um, just a few verses before this, Matthew 6, 7, Jesus says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Many have used this prayer as empty phrases to heap up to God. Now that might sound shocking or offensive to you. How can I call these empty phrases? I mean, this is the Lord's prayer. How can I call them empty? And I don't think they're empty. I think they're loaded. I think they are incredibly loaded. There's a, we're going to spend weeks unpacking what's in these words. They're loaded. But they become empty when the meaning is lost because we're simply reciting something that we've memorized without consideration. So just as an example, right from this prayer, if I say the words in my recited prayer, hallowed be your name. But everything about me demonstrates that I could care less about the holiness of God's name. That is an empty phrase. It means nothing to me. If I, if I, if I'm not, if I don't really care in my, that, that God would be hollowed in my heart or hollowed in this world or hollowed among the nations or hollowed in my family or hollowed by the way that I spend my time or money or hollowed by the way that I pray, then I have turned a very loaded and meaningful statement into an empty phrase that I'm heaping up to God with hopes that it will bring me luck. It's like superstition. It's not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus has given us an outline that's designed to shape and, and give direction and framework and orientation to our praying so that we pray rightly. When it comes to teaching us prayer, Jesus was an outliner, not a manuscriptor. Jesus is going to teach us how to pray. And I think it will be very helpful for us as we press into this for a while, for several weeks. I'm praying that God uses it in our lives so that we might become more serious in our prayer lives. More intentional. More regular. More Godward. Less self. More Godward in the way that we pray. Today we're just going to focus on verse 9. I think there's two things that we should really want to take home from this. Maybe a few more, but two, two main things that I think we should take home from verse 9. We should want to know the one to whom we're praying. And we should want to know the proper heart orientation as we pray. Those two things. And I think you can see them both in verse 9. So, and that'll actually be kind of the outline of this. There's two parts. The addressee, our Father who is in heaven, in the heavens, literally in the Greek, our Father who is in the heavens. That's, and then the first petition, hallowed be your name. And so that's how we'll walk through this. And my prayer this morning is that the Lord would teach us to pray. So I'll just make three observations about that first clause. Our Father who is in heaven. And I'll just maybe focus on a few of the words. First, note that he says, pray like this, our Father. Our Father. He doesn't say God. He doesn't say the Father. He doesn't even say my Father, although I'm sure you can pray that and you should pray that when you're alone. But here he says, our Father. You know what that means? That means he wants us to pray together. 
Our Father. There's a, a, that's, that's, that's a plural word. Our Father. We pray together. There is a corporate nature to the way that Jesus teaches us to pray. Now, of course, we, we take that on balance with what Jesus said just a few verses prior, right? The lion's share of our praying ought to be in secret. We talked about this last week. And our praying out loud ought to be the tip of the iceberg, a very big iceberg. Our praying together cannot be our only praying. We should pray in secret. And of course, there's a danger of just praying together so that we can be heard. Jesus warns us of that too. But clearly, we're to pray together. Christians ought to come together in part so that we can pray This is one of the reasons we gather every Lord's Day, every Sunday. We gather so that we can pray together. And oh, what a privilege it is that we can pray together. One of the things that we talked about at the elder retreat is how special the Lord's Day is. You know, this is Sunday. This is the day the church gathers. This is the day where we put things aside and we we come together as a church so that we might hollow his name together. It is a special day. It ought to be a special day to us. I think we've lost a lot in the casualness at which we have approached Sunday. Maybe we've gained something there. You know, maybe there's some pushback that needed to happen. Maybe, maybe, maybe we have, we, it was too ceremonial or whatever before, but we have lost something a, a bit in how we have casually approached Sunday. This is the Lord's day. This is the day where we gather as believers. And part of the reason we do that is so that we can say, our father together. It is a privilege to be able to pray our Father. So note the second word here too, our Father. It's absolutely mind-blowing that we can come to the creator and the sustainer of the universe and call him Father. In Jesus' day, that was shocking. No one did that. No one called him father. That sounded too close or too personal or too familial. And people didn't always think of God that way. But here Jesus says, pray like this. Pray our father. We have special access when it comes to prayer. Most of you don't do this. Um, You know I'm just a regular guy, but some people are very nervous to come into my office. I don't know why. I don't know what it is about preachers or pastors or whatever. Some people come into my office and they're really nervous. And if you did that, it's okay. Um, I often spend a, a good while at the first trying to help them feel at ease. Um, you know, like just, it's okay. It's, I'm just a regular guy. Let's talk. I won't give you theological exams. <laughs> they're nervous for whatever reason. Some people. My, my children, however have never been nervous to come into my... They don't even knock. <laughs> they come right in. I keep mints in there. You know, they know where they're at. They go for them. They, sometimes they'll look at me and acknowledge me. Oh, hey, Dad, how you doing? You know, kind of thing. They have access. They, they could just come in. They're not nervous. They've never been nervous. They have confidence. It's not aud- audaciousness. It's confidence. And the reason they are confident in that relationship is because I'm their father and they're my children. And that means confidence. They can, they can come. They have access. 
There's a special relationship there. And again, that's a tiny illustration to illustrate a gigantic, mind-blowing reality. We have access to God, and we call him Father. That's not a general statement that's true about every person on the planet. Of course, there's a sense in which all people are God's children. There is a sense in which, you know, God is our creator. We're made in his image. And in that very general sense, we could say all people are children of God. We can say that. But Jesus is talking about a special family relationship between God and the people he has adopted into his family as his sons and his daughters. Not everyone is his child in that sense. Only those who are in Christ. Listen to two passages that both basically say the same thing. They teach us the way that we were brought into this new relationship and why we can now approach him this way on a relational basis because he is our father. Galatians 4, 4 through 7 says it this way. But when the fullness of time has come, had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We can call God our father because God sent his son to make us sons and daughters through his redemptive work on the cross and his resurrection. Jesus has made all who trust in him sons and daughters of God. That's amazing. Jesus is teaching us a way to pray that can only be truly prayed through his blood and his death and his risen life. Jesus went to the cross to make this kind of praying a reality for you. His work was to make us God's children, and that's why we can pray our Father. Listen to Romans 8, 14 through 16. It says, for, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, there it is again, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. We are the children of God. I want you to feel the immensity of that. And let it fill your heart with praise. If you are in Christ, you've received the spirit of adoption. You don't have to be nervous before God anymore. Not like that. Not, not like, a, like, a, like an enemy coming before his adversary who massively outguns him. You come to God as a son or a daughter with confidence and assurance that you are accepted by him. You are loved by him. He made you his son because he loves you. You're adopted because of God's love for you. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. That's why we can pray, Our Father who is in heaven. Every time we come to him like that, our words are showing that we come to him on the basis of the gospel. We come to our Father 
who is that because of Jesus Christ and God's grace to us in him. And that way the gospel serves as the foundation of prayer. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ is the savior who, who, who came from heaven, lived a sinless life, died in our place, paid for our sin debt, and all who trust in him are brought back into a right relationship with God. They're made children. If you are a Christian, you can pray together with the saints, our Father who is in heaven. All right, there's two sides of what we see about God in that opening clause. Uh, the way that Jesus tells us to address God in verse 9. The first is that he's our Father. He's near and caring and loving and accepting. In theology, we call that the imminence of God. God is not far off. He's imminent. He's close. He's so close indeed. He's our Father. The other side of this that we can see is like the last part of that clause. We can pray to our Father who is in heaven. Literally in the Greek it says who is in the heavens. So if our, if our Father shows us his eminence and his closeness, then the heavens shows us that the God we pray to is above all. It shows us what we call in theology God's transcendence. It means that he is bigger than everything. God is not the God of a people group. God is not the God of a religious group. He's not the God of a country. He's not the God of a culture. He's not even only the God of Christians. He is not only the God of those who believe in him. He is the God of heaven. He is sovereign. He is almighty. He is everywhere at once. He is God. Full stop. And you put those two sides together and there's an awesome truth conveyed here. And it comes out every time we pray this way. We pray to the God who is our father, who has adopted us into his family, who loves us, accepts us, and who has made us heirs. And we pray to the one who knows our needs and cares about them. We pray to the God who loves us. He knows me, he sees me, he loves me, he cares for me. He is my father. And that ought to be tremendously encouraging to you, especially if you feel alone. or uncared for, or abandoned. God cares for you. He is your father. And he is God Almighty, author of creation, maker of heaven and earth, awesome in wonder, the God of the heavens. As Matthew, I mean, as Psalm 115.3 says, he is the God who does all he pleases. He is imminent to us. He is close and he is transcendent. He is above all. That's the one you pray to when you say, our father who is in heaven. Now the rest of verse nine is the first petition. And there are six or seven petitions in this model prayer, depending on how you count the last one. Okay. So six or seven. Um, and the end of verse nine is the first petition. And it is a petition. It's not a declaration. The verb hollowed is imperative. Grammar nerd. It's the third person imperative which is kind of like a soft command. We could translate this, let your name be hollowed or may your name be hollowed. That's how that works. It's, it's an, it's an, you're, you're asking God to do something. We're not merely declaring God, your name is holy. That's true enough. 
We could do that. We could say that. That's true. But here we are praying, Father, may your name be regarded as holy. May your name be revered and honored and treated with reverence and considered sacred. And the question right away is like, by whom? Who, who are we praying for in petitioning God that his name might be regarded as holy, that his name might be hallowed? Hallowed by whom? Are we praying for the people in our church that they would regard the Father and his name as holy? Or the people in Shadron? Or maybe the people in America? Or maybe we're praying for unreached tribal areas that they will hear the gospel and regard the name of God as holy for the first time. Maybe we're praying that we ourselves would hollow God, that we would hollow his name, that we would revere him. Maybe there's a sense in this first petition that we're praying for ourselves that we might regard God's name as holy, that we might treat him with due reverence. I think it's obviously all of the above. We, when we pray, hallowed be your name, we are praying that God would receive the glory that is due his name. And we know His name is due glory, all glory. We're praying the sentiment of the psalmist in Psalm 113, 2-3. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. All time. And from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. All time and everywhere. Now, I began the sermon by making a point that this is a pattern, not a prayer simply to be recited. So how should we pray this way, rightly? Okay, so I think God, I think Jesus is orientating our hearts in prayer. He's teaching us to pray in a Godward way, that our hearts are oriented in a Godward way. He's fixing a direction in our prayer right from the outset. And we are looking Godward with our prayer. And that is a strange orientation in our selfie world. I, w- I read, I don't know why I did this, but I, I read an old sermon I preached on this passage way back in, I don't know, 2016 or so. Don't go listen to it, it wasn't very good. But um, in 2016, selfie was the Time Magazine's word of the year. Okay, so every year Time Magazine picks a word that's made the most influence, made the biggest mark in their estimation, and that year it was selfie. And then selfie was a relatively new term. Did you know that it didn't exist forever? (laughs) Selfie was a relatively new term, and it simply means the kind of pics we take of ourselves with our phones, right? Like, of ourselves. Believe it or not, there was a time in which taking a picture of yourself, you only did it like as a joke, like you pick up somebody's camera and you take a picture of yourself so that they'd find... Or, or it was considered rather vain. Like even painting pictures of yourself was considered rather vain. But of course, it's not now. We've embraced our selfie world. In fact, all phones now have a selfie camera, right? Your phone has a, a selfie camera. If you go on a trip, you want to make sure you have a selfie stick. Sad fact, um, many people die every year by taking selfies at dangerous places, like on cliffs and stuff. It's like, eh, you know... Let me, let me just, let me just, um, let me just take a selfie. We are a selfie generation. I actually did it. How ironic. 
I can use my cell phone, which is meant as an instrument to talk to other people, to merely look at me. (laughs) Our prayer lives tend to be that way too, though. We have this beautiful gift, this means by which we can talk to God and we can make it all about me. We go to God because we want something. Our prayer can amount to nothing more than just a wish list. You know, we go to God only when we are in straits because things aren't going well and we want him to change it. Nothing to do with him. I just don't like what's going on or I think I need something. We can selfie pray as it were. And Jesus is teaching us to have a radically Godward orientation in our prayer lives and indeed in our lives. In this selfie age we live in, we pray in the first place, hallowed be your name. May your name be regarded as holy. That's going to shape the way that you pray, friends. That's going to shape the way you pray about your own needs. We're going to be Godward in our dependence on God. We're not praying that God would, like, we're not praying that we would have things so that we could be independent of God. Would you give me everything I need so I no longer have to pray? (laughs) I mean, you don't pray that way out loud, but that's the way you pray sometimes. We're going to be Godward. Lord, meet my needs so I can hollow your name. So I can make much of you in this world unhindered. So I can be dependent on you and that is to be so clear to other people that you are my provider. We pray for his provision in light of a desire for his name to be hallowed. And not merely a Godward orientation for my prayer, right? This isn't just about praying. When you pray this way, it's not just about praying. I want a Godward orientation for my life. I mean, how is my life to hallow his name? I mean, think about how you pray. This this. Crazy when you think about it. You're almost praying for yourself when you say, may your name be hallowed. I want your name to be hallowed in my life. It's a Godward prayer. I'm praying that I would honor the Lord's name, that I would hallow his name. Martin Luther in his greater catechism, which he wrote to train people in godliness, asked the question, catechisms are question and answers. And he asked the question, I have a slide for this, I think. Um, But he asked the question, how is God's name hallowed among us? And the answer is, when our life and doctrine are truly Christian. I I think he's right. I think he's right. The The way we hallow his name is by believing right things about him. By believing him for who he really is. Believing in him. And by lives that demonstrate that faith. That live it out by living in light of our holy God. We would live in such a way as to demonstrate that his name is holy. We're almost praying that we would be holy so that we might rightly hallow his name. This is a radical Godward orientation. When his disciples came to him and said, teach us how to pray. That's how this was framed in Luke. Teach us how to pray. This is how he started. Pray this way. This is the way we pray. We radically orientate our hearts and minds to God and to his glory. There are several things about this one verse I think that we should take home and apply to our lives. First, like just ask yourself the question, do you see God this way? I said a lot about God. Do you see him that way? 
If you're in Christ by faith today, God is your father. You see him as your father? He cares for you. He loves you. You've been adopted into his family. You're no longer an orphan. I mean, that's awesome truth. God is your father. That ought to give you confidence to come boldly to his throne of grace, as the writer of Hebrews put it. Prayer is your privilege now. You can come into the presence of God, your father. And you can do that because of Jesus. Friend, if you're not a Christian, don't you want that? Isn't it time to trust in Christ? In Christ, God will no longer be your adversary standing against you because of your sin. Trust in him today. He not only makes you friends, like he didn't, he not, God not only brings you back into friendship, he adopts you into his family. Trust in Christ today. Whoever believes in Christ will be saved. He is our Father who is in the heavens. We pray to the God of all creation, the God of the universe, the almighty sovereign God over all. And we can just pray to him and he hears us and he answers us. Isn't that awesome? And we ought to come to him with that confidence, praying and longing that his name be hallowed everywhere by everyone in every place and especially by us. Oh, may his name be hallowed in this world. Hollowed in our church, hollowed in my life, hollowed in yours. I think we should take those things home, consider them, weigh them, let them transform the way you pray and the way you think. So let's pray. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to hear a testimony from Ann Dockweiler. I've asked her to share her, her story, how God has transformed her life by his amazing grace. And then we're going to partake together of the Lord's Supper. We're going to celebrate the realities I just talked about together. Celebrate with joy the God who has made us his children in Christ. So Father, our Father in heaven, may your name be hallowed everywhere and by all people, and by us especially. Oh Lord, would you do that work among us that we might hollow your name with our lives. And I pray for Anne now. I pray that you'd help her to share clearly the work that you have done through Christ in her life. And I pray for open hearts as we listen and that we would have joy as we see your work. In Jesus' name, amen.